I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and I bought a new motorbike yesterday. Vroom, vroom. Why did I say that? I am also director of the Fifth Element. <laughs> I know why you said that. <laughs> Which is knowledge, like, oh, vroom, vroom. Embarrassing. All right, cool. Men is going on Monday. Took a for a drink on Tuesday. Tuesday. We were thinking things by the Wednesday. Oh, yeah, okay. Then Thursday and Friday was Saturday. Chill on Sunday. I'm I'm digging in digits on the Wednesday, for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Get on my fucking level. Hi Ben, how's your week been? Can you feel me in? What you listening this week? I don't know if I ever said this on the pod, but when we first had the podcast, it was ages ago, obviously 2019, and I was dating quite widely at the time. And a girl told me that it was a really disrespectful title to name it "Digging with the Digits." And I'm like, it's not called digging. She said, that's a very sexual way to describe your podcast. She said, it's digging in the digits. Yeah, Yeah, it was mad. I'm like, no, that's not what it is. Anyway, this week, uh, I listened to uh, Beanie Man, dropped his new project. Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot. There's some drill on here. Uh, Miss Banks is on here. Giggs is on here. You know, I love Giggs on a a feature. I just don't like his albums very much. Miss Banks is on a couple of tracks here. Um, Maya's on here. Shaggy's on here. Uh, Sean Paul, it's way too long. It is far too long. It is an hour and 10 minutes. It did not need to be that long. I got right towards the end and I'm like, wow, this is really dragging. But up until that point, up until I reckon about track 18, um, it's great, man. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Shout out Beanie Man. Uh, I haven't listened to him in a very, very, very long time. Um, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. Uh, shout out Beanie Man. Black Youngster, you know, I'm always going to be on here saying any Black Youngster tape that comes out is going to be fire. I don't even need to listen to them anymore. But I do listen to them because they're fucking fire. And this is fire. It's just straight up. Same as all the other tapes he's ever dropped. It's just bangers. Illa J dropped No Traffic. Very patchy. Very patchy. Uh, some of the tracks here are incredible. The The first track, No Traffic, is not that. And there's just some tracks that are just... He's trying different things. And I respect that. You know, in stark contrast to Black Youngster, who just does the same thing over and over again, which is great. It works. At least Illa J is doing something different. Um, and there's some tracks on here that, yeah, the beats sound, I don't know, tinny at times and, and hollowed out. There's some very inventive beats on here, though. There's some very different sounds that I did not expect. So, yeah, shout out Illa J. That was a nice, nice little thing to get. Uh, Snow Goons dropped first of the month, volume two. It's great. It's, it's really solid, man. Just like underground lyrics, underground beats. Um, I saw Snow Goons, they, they opened up for Onyx in Sydney, and yeah, Onyx is on this album as well, Lords of the Underground, it's good, um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Real Bad Man and Blue dropped bad news, it's a little bit different than what I expected from Blue, um, definitely harder edge beats, more boom bappy, CL Smooth pops up on the Golden Rule, which is incredible, I haven't heard him in so long, man, it was, it was really nice to hear, and he skates on that verse, he absolutely skates. Uh, I enjoyed that project a lot. And finally, RJ Payne, My Life is a Movie 2. I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. I'm not 100% sure why. It just it felt like a little bit 
more melodic, a little bit more. The bass just didn't hit me as hard, and that meant that RJ Payne's vocals didn't sit in the mix as well as they normally do. Um, not to say it's a bad album, it just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff on the interludes is fun, though. I was a bit disappointed that they he wasn't, because I, I kind of thought he was... You know, it was a it was a co-headline like RJ Payne and DJ Jazzy Jeff, but it wasn't that. He just popped up on the interludes, which was which was fun. So yeah, no, it was, it's all right. I enjoyed it. Um, oh, yeah, that was it. What about yourself, Charlie? Yeah, got some good stuff. Um, uh, Flying Lotus, uh, Smoke Dizza, uh, Flying Objects. Um, just 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 hit up the. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Um, <coughs> I feel like Smoke Dizza is kind of in that. Just in that realm of, um, I th- he doesn't offend me, but he doesn't grab me either. Um, he's just there, <laughs> and 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 I listened to this project obviously because you know Flying Lotus, and I was like, okay, I'll be interesting to see what you know Flying Lotus does, considering he does you know some of the most esoteric hip hop production ever. Um, you know, doing audio visual shows and all that shit. Like, dude's creativity is just on you know a very unexplainable level um but you know it's the production's cool on here um nothing i think little <laughs> i consider it light work for someone like flying those um and you know smoke does just you know does smoke does bars um you know blow weed um a lot of other things um just general general rap stuff solid features conway black thought and especially our girl estelle on the last track mm-hmm. harlem world 97 love that track yeah, here for that still. every single day Estelle's hook is top tier. Love me some Estelle. Uh, but yeah, you know, fine. It's a cool EP. Uh, Real Bad Man, Blue, Bad News. Um, I've realised that there's a Real Bad Man just constantly, you know, is always, you know, dropping something with somebody else. Just always doing these, you know, um, uh, uh, collaborative projects. Um, did that Did that one with Cool Keith earlier in the year. I think yeah. you listened to that maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's always it's always cool just to you know just just check up and just see where he's at, um, but yeah you know love me some blue as always and uh, that was pretty much solid. Um, uh, Hebrews with Planet Asia I really enjoyed Golden Rule like you said top tier love me some CL Smooth really wanted to just jump back in some fashion I really I'd really appreciate more of him. Um, yeah just um, you know solid features on here um, solid tracks nothing really nothing really. Trash or anything, just really good stuff. I uh, can't complain. Xenia uh, Manasse, spelled X E N I A M A N A S S E H, uh, love slash hate part one. Very interesting little uh, EP, I'm going to call it, but you know, it's 27 minutes, but there's 11 tracks. Help me out, please. Um, specificity would be great, but anyway, and, and same with the Real Bad Man and Blue, by the way. That's like, you know, 25 minutes or something. So, whatever. Um, but yeah, this is really nice, really nice uh, contemporary piece of R&B. Uh, love of vocals. Um, yeah, just a really solid project. Really enjoyable to listen to. Um, and yeah, it's just a, just a really, just a, another one to, another one to chalk up um, for the, just the consistent, um, consistent solid work that, you know, R and B artists are doing just everywhere. Uh it never fails. Uh Ninth Wonder, Zion Nine, uh, part of the Soul Council's um projects. I think they're doing like one per week in, in the past few weeks. 
I did the Cash one, talked about the Crisis one, and obviously this is the Ninth Wonder one, the Zion Nain. Um, this is, oh gosh, how long is this? <laughs> yeah, it's only like 90 minutes. Um, I spun it during a exhibition I went to uh, yesterday. Did I go yesterday? Um, yeah, yesterday. Uh, went to the V&A in Kensington. And, uh, and if you've been to the V&A, you know that it takes a while to go, go through it. Uh, uh, to, to, especially the one I was trying to find a specific place. And then in th- within that place, I was spending like at least two hours, and then you could you, you could spend the whole day there. It's, it's it's fucking large. Highly recommend it if you have a day to spend. Um, but yeah, I spent I just I was looking at photographs and photographic history while listening to Design Online, and yeah, it was a odd mix. But um, yeah, it's very nice, really good. Ninth Wonder, go go it. You know this, you know this. Steez, uh, favorite uh, Black Deep Black Black is beautiful. Great name. Um, Kind of like a spoken word thing going on. Uh, wasn't too into the beginning, uh, the first couple of tracks. Is she, she was doing like she was doing spoken words, but then she was repeating what she was saying with like you know just more up to vocals. So she's going like, so for example, black woman. So she goes like black woman, and then there's another black woman just on the other side of the other side you're in. It's just like a little bit jarring for me personally. Um, Governorship slash Senate for Stacey Abrams was just really odd. So I was like, okay, just just bigging up Stacey Abrams randomly. Like I I get it, but it's just yeah, it was just a really random, just very specific uh bit of political uh lyricism to throw in there. Um but yeah, it's 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 calm if you like your spoken words, um just another addition that you can throw onto there. Like, like there's many spoken word albums dropping the uh in, in uh, well, ever um, you know, it's, it's, they come, they come few and far in between for me personally. Uh, Illa J and Harley Blue. I'm gonna do that one first. Second record. Um, I didn't listen to their first record, haha. Um, in I think last year, but I listened to this one in preparation of also listening to the Illa J No Traffic that Ben mentioned, and um, I like this. This is really nice. Um, I don't know when it dropped. When did it drop? Um, it's, it's dropped in April. Um, it's about 40 minutes, and um, for those who haven't listened to Harley Blue, she did a record with uh, Blue Stabe, I think that's how you say it, um, a few years ago, and that was pretty solid. Um, this album could really just be... Oh, th- there's so much potential for just remixes all over this spot. Um, it's very summery, um, extremely different, honestly, in some ways, to the uh, regular LJ project, um, so I appreciate him mixing it up. Um it kind of gives me like Calvin Harris funk wave bounce kind of thing, right? Where it's trying to go for that summer summer vibe, um, and it achieves that definitely, um, but just in in the LJ style. And Harley Blue has this very uh, kind of for me personally hit and missed vocal patterns. Like sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. Depends on the track, to be honest. Um, but for the most part, really enjoyed the uh, the record as a whole. Um, but yeah, just um, highly recommend just anybody listen to this one because it's actually a really interesting listen. And like I said, a easy pick for just one of those albums where like a remixer, DJ, whatever, uh, can just get the stems from this and just make something so sick. I can imagine it. Um, it's 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 definitely there. But the blueprint is there. But uh, yeah, and also Illa J, uh, no traffic. Um, I probably should have listened to No Traffic before <laughs> Second Record because it kind of just came off as a damp squib uh, compared to Second Record, where Second Record had all this energy 
And, um, you know, I just, I, I don't know, I feel a bit indifferent towards Illa J when I listen to him sometimes. Um, and the some, and sometimes means the past, you know, a few projects I've listened to of his over the years. Um, I haven't, I haven't listened, I haven't like been constantly listening to the next, uh, uh Illa J drop. Um, I've probably missed a couple here and there. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. He doesn't, I don't know, just doesn't, like, similar to Smoke Desert to be fair, like, doesn't offend me, but doesn't really grab me in any fashion. Like, I appreciate he does everything, you know, obviously production as well as um, being on the tracks. But, yeah, I just don't, I don't really know what the, like, how would you describe Nilla J's signature sound? I, I, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just there. Um, and like you said, he was kind of just in this, for this project in particular, was kind of just throwing stuff at a wall production wise and just seeing if it sticks. And that's kind of how I see it. Um, some of it stuck, <laughs> some of it didn't, um, you know, features came and went, to be honest, um, none of it really grabbed me, um, but yeah, I don't know, just, it's fine, it's, it's, yeah, it just didn't really grab me as, as, as much as I, as much as I thought, but yeah, let's jump in uh, to our topic, it's Hip Hop Neighbors Volume 8, um, getting up in there, uh, getting up in the numbers for this one, and uh, yeah, we, we are covering two albums, uh, two classics, uh, from the 2000s, uh, one on one end and one on the near nearer to the back end, uh, but classics nonetheless. Um, for uh, for obvious reasons, when we get to them, but um, yeah, uh, which one do you want to start with first, Ben? Let's start with Craig David first. Okay, so this is going to be a random beginning towards it, but it's going to make sense when I talk uh, when I get into it. But um. For those, um, especially people that live in Britain, um, you know, when you hear Craig David, something that, and if you're of a certain age, by the way, <laughs> I think if you're younger than me, you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, but for people my age and over, um, Craig David was subject to a very consistent, very successful um, sketch um, by none other, none other than Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, where he, I, f- I forgot what, uh, was it called Bo Selector? I think it was, I think, I don't know if the whole show was called that. Um, but yeah, it was basically a sketch show, um, uh, by Sasha Baron Cohen. And Ali G actually came out of that, um, just to say. Um, I think he's actually bringing Ali G back recent, uh, I heard recently. So, Is he? random, random thing to say, but yeah, I guess, yeah, Ali G's back. But um, anyway, one of them was like this Craig David character, and he just kept, he just kept saying Craig David um, in in that weird way, and Craig Davis has, sa- has said in you know many an interview over the years that he hated that, and you know people really just knew him for that, um, and obviously not for the music. I feel like in recent years with the TS Five um, uh, uh, work he's been doing uh, in terms of his live shows. Um, he's, you know, been, he's, he's kind of regained his image and has, you know, been given his flowers, I feel, um, and not just the butt of that particular sketch joke, um, that was constant during the 2000s. And it's unfortunate, I feel, because, you know, obviously Born to Do It, which is now 20 years old, um, is just a very interesting flashpoint um in music like when i this is probably the first time honestly that i've ever actually listened to this album from start to finish 
Because it's one of those albums where the singles are just so top tier, so well known. There's kind of no point. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's it, it's just one of those albums where you listen to it and you, and you, you just hear Seven Days, you hear uh, Fill Me In, you spin Rewind, and that's it. You, what, why listen to the rest, right? You, you, it's, it's fine. Um, nobody's going to get at you for not listening to... Um, Fuck! What was uh, what was that one? The album. What cut. was it called? I'm, I'm gonna get the name in. I'm gonna get the name. Booty man. Booty oh, man. Oh, that was a that was that when I saw that on the track list, Booty I was man. like, "Hang on a sec. You put out a song called Booty Man. <laughs> I mean, he's Booty born man. to do it. He's born to do it. So we gotta oh, we gotta do. He's God. he's a natural in this. We've just got to trust Craig David. Oh, he's oh, a natural. God. He's a booty man. Oh, booty man. Yeah. Booty um, man. Not my favorite track off the album, just to say. Um, if it has, if it, <laughs> if my inflections haven't given it to you already, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's been. I feel it, not to make it a Craig David retrospective, but it's been an interesting journey for him. I feel where, you know, born to do it. I think he was like eighteen, nineteen, or so, something at the time. He was like really young, yeah, really, really young, and this shit blew the fuck up. <laughs> like it, it, it was fucking crazy. Um, of of how big this album was in the UK, and I'm sure in other places, but especially UK, Craig David was the guy, okay? When you think of UK R&B of the 2000s, you think of Craig David. And it's easy to think why, because it's easy to know why, because just take Seven Days and Fill Me In and Rewind, right? Those three tracks, the, the through line through, through them all is... A, his voice, great fucking voice, right? Um, B, he raps as well, and that's cool. Um, and C, the production is fucking top notch. Like, and they're so they just have this, they just have this flavor to them that um, I feel like, you know, this is this was before you know the likes of I think the uh, think before the likes of Chris Brown and stuff like that where. You know, around uh, when Chris Brown started coming in, and you know, uh, and his uh, and and his uh, c- compatriots, whatever. Um, you know, it was it was it was already established by then. I feel I'm not saying Craig David was the pioneer of you know rapping and singing or anything like that. I'm not making that that claim, obviously. And obviously, there were plenty of Drake you know, did that. Boy it bands. wasn't Craig David. It was Drake. Yeah, yeah, Drake, Drake invented, yeah, Drake invented rapping and singing, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, obviously I'm not saying that, but there were obviously boy bands as well that were kind of trying to do this, but not to the, just, just didn't really hit. They didn't hit the way Craig David hit. Someone was bound to do it, and Craig David was that guy. But when you listen to, it's, you know, the whole record starts with film in, right, and which, you know, just contextually, with no context, is a crazy title, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, it's even lyrically, it's very interesting, just how he's talking about, you know, this young love that he's got going on, and the parents are kind of, it's kind of like a parents just don't understand kind of thing, but, you know, he's sneaking about, and they're just like, you know, you know, you're, you're wearing you wearing a black shirt, but you're wearing white yesterday, so what's up? Like, what, what the fuck you be doing? Um, and it's you know it's kind of it's it's very interesting. I feel the storytelling is really good, and that's a top tier track. Then seven days, 
the iconic video where he's kind of just um you know groundhog day in it basically and uh he's trying to get the girl and he keeps going until he gets the girl and you know it's just really really fucking good seven days just is a timeless classic put that on in any party people are gonna fucking sing it okay it is fact this is facts of life okay it's gonna happen um you know rewind to maybe to a little lesser extent maybe more niche towards like you know the the club ravers and stuff like that but regardless still a classic for that obvious reason right it's it's He's he's doing garage. <laughs> it's just it's just garage. It's just garage. It's it's Arthur Dodger and Craig David. It's garage, and you know that finishes off the album very well. Um, and then you get into you know just the rest of the album, which you know, like I said, probably for the first time I've actually listened to all of these. Um, this is one of those. This is that album, you know, where you you just don't listen to the rest of it. Um, but you know, it kind of just gets to uh, it's it's. It's one of those albums where it's the singles are really good and there's a reason why they were the singles, right? Not to say the others are bad, except Booty Man. Not a fan of that. Just just, just not, just wasn't into that at Charles, all. Charles's um, not a Booty Man. <laughs> oh, au contraire, mon frere. Okay, oh, okay, don't get me started. But this is a aficionado <laughs> over here. <laughs> 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 au contraire, but, um, you know, just... Ah, just just wasn't into just wasn't into that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it 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 steps down. It steps down after seven days. It just takes a little bit of a step down. It kind of mellows out. Um, he's doing he's doing some singing. Um, he's it's kind of like it's kind of like a mixtures of like I don't know, trying to do fill me in slash seven days, but they're just different versions, I guess, and uh. I don't know. They just inherently feel lesser. It doesn't make the album any less, you know, a classic for obvious reasons. Um, but there are some just, uh, you know, the uh, the gap, I guess, the gap between the the singles, which are highly notable, and the rest of the album is a very big gap. Um, not to the point where I say the rest of the album's bad or anything. It's it's fine. The rest of the album's fine. Um, but Damn, just the the, cla- the the singles are so fucking classic. It kind of just um, you know, it was it was. It reminded me of what you were talking about um, or what you're mentioning when we were talking. I think it was when we were talking about Souls of Mischief, where it's like if the if the uh, if this album was you know <laughs> called like Fill Me In or Seven Days, right? Mm. Uh, would it you know would it be any different? I believe not. I don't think the fact that Born to Do It has anything to do with it, but if this uh, if this album obviously didn't have those three tracks, I I I don't know I don't know how we would I don't know how we would we would be talking about it. I don't think we um, would be. You know, this I, I just have to be honest, right? I'm talking about this album because kind of because of those three tracks. We love it because of those three tracks. I don't think people are you know running to listen to Last Night, which is fine. It's a solid track, but I'm just saying. Nobody's running to to listen to it. Walking away, solid track. Nobody's running to it. It's just one of those things. Um, and you know, I don't I don't state it to the detriment of Craig David in any any fashion. I feel like you know this is while the songs are classics, this album is so fucking two thousands. 
so early 2001 it actually kind of just sets the tone for the rest of um or the rest of R&B throughout the 2000s where you know it kind of just gets out of it kind of gets out of the you know the 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 golden era that was 90s R&B and obviously you know we can have this conversation about you know UK R&B in the 2000s as well which um you know if i throw out names out if i throw names out there the you know <laughs> most likely people haven't even fucking heard of them but they're just you know Jamelia. Have you heard Jamelia, Ben? You heard of Jamelia? Of course. Oh, you've heard Jamelia. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Right. So there sure, you go. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. So let's. I, I kind of want to just like drop a list of just UK RBIs and just see how far do we go into it until Ben has like no idea who I'm talking about. It'd be about. interesting. Um, but I won't. I, it would be. It would be an interesting quiz. But yeah, I, I'll leave it there. But the point being that I feel like this is a. I mean, like I said before, it's a touchstone. It's it's a touchstone to a time of interesting mixes of of elements, you know, garage with rewind and a little bit of hip hop with uh, the likes of uh, the lyrical and the delivery of things like "Fill Me In" and Seven Days," but he's obviously singing, and uh, yeah, so it's a it's a <laughs> It sets the tone for a lot of uh, a lot of things to come, I guess. Absolutely, and you know, it's a very fascinating album to me. I obviously have never listened to it in full before. Um, Seven Days was big in Australia, but nowhere near as big as Walking Away. Um, Walking Away was the song over here. It got played constantly, incessantly. It was the song. Interesting. In Australia, yeah. So that was my first introduction. And I always thought it was his biggest song, but obviously Seven Days is, is significantly bigger than that when I've dived into it now. But, you know, considering his garage roots, Rewind and Can't Be Messing Around, he even raps on Can't Be Messing Around. Like, those were throwbacks. Those were, like, just odd experiences for me to listen to for the first time, considering I never spun the album before. Um, but as Charlie said, so stereotypical for early 2000s, this sound. And honestly... Um, the UK had form here. They they did. Uh, Westlife, Take That Five, Blue, Boyzone, that sound that they were trying to create. Um, you know, Craig David brought it into this album, and that's why it felt so familiar to a lot of people, and it, I think it hit so hard because those albums by those artists, by Westlife, Take That Five, Blue, Boyzone, yeah, the, the production is amazing, but the lyrics are nowhere near the level that they are with Craig David. And I'm not saying he's some sort of, you know, he's not Shakespeare, but there's a lot of emotion behind these lyrics. Walking Away is a brilliant song. It really is. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I don't think you could find a more stereotypical sounding album. And it, it did soundtrack the mainstream for the next couple of years. Um, not in a bad way at all. Not in a bad way. Seven Days and Walking Away would just play constantly in Australia. I was only 13 when some of these songs came out. That's the first. See, these are some of the first songs I remember actively liking um, ever, like in my entire life. Like going like, oh, I like this song and it's completely independent of anything else. My parents, my friends, you know, this is just what I like listening to. And it's wild to think he was only 17 when you wrote Walking Away because the emotional depth to recognize, think about this. The emotional depth to recognize you need to walk away from things that aren't serving you to protect your own well-being and to set healthy boundaries. That's something a lot of people never figure out. 
but very few figure it out before the age of 20. Yeah, I won't, I won't like that by 17. Yeah. I, I only figured uh, that out this decade. Like, I only figured that out when I turned 30. Like, it took me forever, and I'm still shit at it. But some of the lyrics, like, he says, sometimes, these are, these are deep. Sometimes some people get me wrong when it's something I've said or done. Sometimes you feel there's no fun. That's why you turn and run. But now I truly realize some people don't want to compromise. Well, I saw them with my own eyes spreading those lies. Well, I don't want to live a lie. Too many sleepless nights, not mentioning the fights. I'm sorry to say, lady, I'm walking away. That's special. And then he sings, I'm so tired, baby. Things you say, you're driving me away. As I said, it's taken me till 34 to actually live by those words. It's immense. And with this emotional depth, which is almost entirely absent from all pop music, no matter the age of the artist, that gives Craig David, to me, his unique selling point. He was crooning calmly over the most top-tier boy band pop production in the game. But his lyrical content was so far ahead of everyone else in the pop genre, he was making them look silly. You know, he's making them look very silly. That's why, you know, he had the pop sound with the R&B intellect. That's how I feel about it. You know, he he brought that emotion and intelligence and that that emotional depth and emotional maturity that we were expecting from our, you know, our R&B artists in the the, the 90s and the early 2000s, you know. And I feel that way. You know, I was, I'm, I listen to Erica Badu every single day. R&B was skating in the late 90s, skating. D'Angelo... Drop Voodoo in 2000. Like, it's crazy, man. So, yeah, it's a fire album. Number one on the UK charts. And number 11 on the Billboard 200. Maybe this is an 18-year-old kid from England. Like, he went number 11. Um, Fill Me In went number one on the UK. Seven Days went number one in the UK. Walking Away went number three. Seven Days even hit number 10 on the Hot 100, which is huge. And so, yeah, it's, it's an iconic album and a very fascinating departure from his garage days even though he keeps that in a little bit. And that, that was a that was curious to me. I was like, because, you know, I, I did a bit of research on him and he did start in that that area, you know, that, that was part of his early sound. I wonder why he kept those two touchstones on the album because I, I haven't listened to his discography past this record. I mean, I've listened to What's Your Flavor, of course. I've listened to the singles. But I don't know if there was any Garage after that. Did he ever go back to Garage or was this just like the final end of his garage roots and days uh i'm not really sure um the last time like the last time i I properly listened to a craig david in anything was like uh he did a he did a track with big nasty a few years ago um that was just so fucking good (laughs) and it it was a it was a literal bass uh a bass track Uh, it was a literal uh, garage track it was just but yeah it's it fucking works. Like it, the formula is so crazy. <laughs> about it, it just works when he does it. And uh, it's like you said, it's probably because of those roots um, that it just it just feels right at home when he does it. You know what I mean? I feel, and that's I feel why uh, I can mess, I can listen to this with no issue. I'm not just being me real. Believe it or not, I'm not listening to uh, I'm not listening to Blue these days. It's not happening, right? It's not happening these days. Um, not listening to a uh, 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 fucking. I totally forgot what the fucking others others uh, others were, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So I, I don't I don't really uh, I I don't think he does it like as a as a as a thing anymore. Um, but yeah, the last time I last time I checked, what the a track of Big Nasty, tough, tough track. Uh, that was a really, that was a really fr- freaking good track. Um, shout out to Mark Hill, by the way, who produced the majority of the album. 
Um, he is one half of Artful Dodger, which is a garage duo. Um, so obviously Rewind is the notable track, but um, there's also a one called Moving Too Fast with Ramina Johnson. If you've never listened to that in your life, get fucking prepared. Buckle up. Bang of a track. Absolute classic banger track. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, oh I want to listen to it right now. Let's end this pod. I want to listen to it right now. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, listen to, I'll talk about Nas so Barkley. So I'll talk about Nas Barkley. Here we go, some spins. Yeah, so, we can do Nas Barkley. Now, we spoke about uh, Danger Mouse in a prior episode, and I revealed what well, maybe a new information for a lot of people. Um, Danger Mouse began as a trip hop artist uh, by the name Pelican City. Now, we've briefly explored the connection between trip hop and hip hop in a few episodes. Might actually be one to discuss at some point in the future. But Danger Mouse began as a trip hop artist and then he dropped the Grey album in 2004. He obviously worked with Gemini in 2003, so he had form in hip hop. Um, but that was his transition into hip hop. It was very swift, it was incredibly successful. He worked with Damon Albarn on Demon Days. Then he picked up a duo album with MF Doom called The Mouse and the Mask, which we've covered before. And from there, he decided to link up with another legendary hip-hop artist, CeeLo Green. Now, CeeLo Green is a pioneer. You know, I actually referenced this. I didn't even remember that I wrote this in, but I referenced it very early. A few years ago, someone tried to claim Drake began the trend of rappers who sing. And I think most people's eyes leapt out of their fucking skull and they had widespread aneurysms when someone said that because it's just madness as if lauren doesn't exist queen latifah doesn't exist CeeLo doesn't exist now CeeLo is an atlanta hip-hop legend he began in goody mob the youngest member in the group and he very regularly stole the show on goody mob albums very regularly he stole the show on outcast debut album you know i love their debut album but you've got to agree like get up get out like he was just fucking immense on that incredible soul food was goody mob's debut album and then the early 2000s CeeLo dropped his debut album and his sophomore and to me they're classics um they're some of the first albums that i really got into myself um i like everything he's ever done even down to his christmas album i remember when his christmas album came out and we sat around and we listened to it all day in my house i made everyone listen to it i thought it was amazing but he established himself by the mid-2000s as someone wholly capable of spitting a venomous verse and then turning around and singing a beautiful hook on the same song. And the fact that it took him until crazy to hit his commercial peak in 2008 is wild because he's incredibly successful in that realm when he does it. And so Niles Barkley, quite oddly, remains the commercial peak of both these iconic artists. St. Elsewhere went number four on the Billboard 200 and Crazy made it to number two on the Hot 100. Danger Mouse had made it to number five with Broken Bells on the Billboard 200 uh, a couple of years later, but he didn't chart on the Hot 100 at all outside of Niles Barkley. Goody Mob's 98 album still standing hit number six on the Billboard 200 and Cell Therapy went number nine, 39 on the Hot 100. But again, CeeLo Green's uh, commercial peak was Niles Barkley. It's interesting that Gemini dropped his first Danger Mouse collaboration in 20 years because it was actually Gemini who introduced the two. So we spoke about the Gemini album a couple of weeks ago. Um, now, CeeLo told Pitchfork, my services were rendered to do a remix for Ghetto Pop Life by Danger Mouse and Gemini. And after our work was concluded, he asked whether he could 
could play a couple of things for me. I was like, cool. And I was blown away by the four, five, or six tracks. It's very rare that you get someone to just bust off six things that make you say, wow. I said, we should hook up after that and do a few tracks. And he was like, well, I don't really do tracks. So Danger Mouse said, in the back of my mind, I was like, do I say that? Because I was thinking it, but I'm like, am I really gonna say that? So they did, CeeLo Green says, we did the six tracks, but it ended up taking two years going back and forth. Danger Mouse said it was 03 when they met and started working together. Uh, then we did our first demo, Storm Coming, um, which is on the album, which is, he said it's different from what you hear on the record. And then CeeLo had his albums out. Uh, Danger Mouse dropped the gray album. Things went back and forth and we recorded a bunch of it together in Atlanta. So as we were getting along, we weren't really rushing. There was no label or anything like that. We were just seeing how it was going, which is different to how I always envisioned envisaged or pictured or understood this. I, I mean, I didn't know the backstory, but I always thought it was a label creation. I really did because Crazy was so huge. I thought, you know, some A&R at some label have been like, these two will fit perfectly together. Let's mash them together. But it was a very organic process that happened over a period of five years. That's a long time. Um, and I was tapped into both Danger Mouse and CeeLo at the exact same time they were collaborating. I never in a million years would have guessed that they would drop a project. You know, Danger Mouse was doing mashups and foc focusing heavily on sampling. To me, he was more avalanches than Madlib. And Madlib is someone I'd see working with CeeLo, for sure, who at the time still hadn't pushed forth into the world of pop, not at all. He was capable of it. And some of the hooks on those first two albums are truly delightful, but he hadn't transitioned. But saying elsewhere is something else. To me, it's a classic. I've got it on my wall back there. It's very rare that we actually do an episode where I've got just one of my posters up there. Um, but yeah, man, it's something else. Wiki listed as Neo Soul, Psychedelic Rock, Psychedelic Soul, and Hip Hop. And it is, but it's a, it's a pop album at its core. And it's a fucking great pop album, especially for the time. Because in 2006, pop music was getting very electronic. The period in the mid to late 90s where it was in vogue to get a rapper on your pop track evolved into pop stars hopping on rap beats and then grabbing a rapper for the verse at the end. You know, Christina, uh, sorry, Gwen Stefani did that. Um, and But by 2006, this was dissipating. Christina Aguilera and Gwen Stefani were the last two holdouts. They really were. Um, and the transition was into electronica. Justin Timberlake and Timberland created future sex love sounds. Madonna hit a new peak with confessions on a dance floor, making, you know, the, these were very electronic music. This is very dancey music. So there are a select few pop albums in existence who effortlessly break the mold and are so adept that they can never be properly imitated. To me, crazy is just perfection. The beat was simple, but it was still insistent. CeeLo Green delivers one of the greatest vocal performances in pop music history. His voice on this song is peerless. It's perfection. It stretches across the production, doesn't falter for a second. It's ironic that he would later appear on The Voice, which is certifiably the worst show for finding vocal talent in human history. And it's exactly why Crazy could never be truly imitated, because there are very select few pop singers who can actually sing, like genuinely sing. Christina Aguilera, absolutely. Beyonce, who was pop early, in her early days, absolutely. Adele, absolutely. CeeLo's in that group, but it's a very small group. You know, I've seen a lot of pop acts, I've seen a lot of rock acts live. 95% of them just can't fucking sing, they're trash. But on top of the perfect pitch, the lyrics were very evocative. And to me, this was the perfect introduction to the darker side of saying elsewhere. It has just a thought, which 
is one of the most relatable songs about suicide I've ever heard in my entire life and delivered so expertly, you wonder if CeeLo is sincere in his defense that it's a passing thought or he's actually covering up his true intentions. And that's just a beautiful, the way that he did it was just stunning. And the funniest thing about the album might be the backstory they actually attempted to give the concept before it dropped. I'll read it out of the Guardian review. He said, so this is the concept. Barkley is the pen pal of Lester Bangs, the long-deceased rock critic responsible for appropriating the phrase punk rock, but also soul man Isaac Hayes and Gordon Gano, vocalist with ramshackle acoustic trio The Violent Femmes. He is also apparently the lover of Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey, Kraftwerk's English teacher, and the broker of a meeting between the Wu-Tang Clan and Britain's Turner Prize-baiting Stuckist art movement. That's the concept to St. Elsewhere. Yes, Charlie's. if I could take a picture of Charlie's face right now and make it into an emoji, I would do that. And in the promo photos, they dressed up like Clockwork Orange in an attempt to add mystique to the collaboration, which again, fell entirely by the wayside because of crazy. The first song to go number one in the UK off downloads alone, the video is just a bunch of mirrored ink blots which form into the duo as the song ebbs and flows, which again, point to a much darker truth underlying the catchiness of the song, one that's then played out across the album. And rather than elaborate the concept they try to promote the album in, what actually emerges is something far more relatable and rooted in reality. That that concept is silly because this album is very relatable. Go Go Gadget Gospel is a wild entry, huge BPM. CeeLo gives the impression of someone totally out of control, just careening around. He proclaims he's free and then spends most of the album telling us how trapped he feels. On the second verse, he sings, Heart is Enormous, and I think that's the perfect introduction to the album because wherever it goes, there's emotion and isolation. And on the title track, CeeLo really starts to drive home his feelings of disconnection, and he's hurt at a world that he feels has turned their back on not just him necessarily, but his emotion and his essence. Um, He sings in the second verse, Anywhere you sit, you can see the sun. Unfortunately, on this island, I'm the only one. Same rules apply on a rainy day, and it's not such a pretty place to be. It just rains and rains and rains on me. And it would be supremely angsty if not for the truly beautiful production and CeeLo's stunning vocals. I spoke when um, Lana Del Rey's Chemtrails Over Country Clubs came out on this pod, I reviewed it, and I said, that's a singer who's at the peak of her powers right now. She skates. She takes those instrumentals to places no one else could, and that's exactly what CeeLo did on St. Elsewhere. He ascends on this album to a new level. Gone Daddy Gone mirrors the energy of the first track. Then you really descend through smiley faces, which is speaking on the difficulty of maintaining calm when you're in turmoil. Boogie Monster into Feng Shui, I feel like is the weakest couplet on the album. I don't like either of those two. I mean, it's, I like them, but like on repeat listens, and like we really fell off a bit of a cliff here. Um, it's just, a, they're just odd additions. Feng Shui kind of feels like a commentary on consumerism or maybe just marketing. It could either be CeeLo commenting on conformity in modern society as someone who exists outside the norm. And certainly we've all seen what he wears. So, you know, he confirms that he does not conform to the norm. He wears some very fucking wild things. But it could easily be an expression of feeling trapped within a dynamic, maybe a sound or a look or a time period, um, just basically beholden to whatever is in vogue as i say just the thought as i said earlier it's a song that i adore to this day it's one of my most played songs ever i'm not going to speak about suicide in this i don't want to trigger anyone or drag anyone into an emotional space they want to be in 
but this song spoke to me so powerfully in 2006 and almost every single year since that meaning has shifted or evolved or morphed into something new for me. It has never once lost relevance to me despite my feelings about that topic changing a lot. And to me, that's the mark of something truly timeless and infinite. It just kept evolving as I evolved and it still stayed relevant. It was wild. Transformer grabs that energy from the first song. You know, after such a dark second half, the final track might feel a bit weird. Um, it feels like something you might expect Bruno Mars to speed up a little bit and turn into a hit. It has throwback energy, but it's like centered in 2006. It's a very haunting waltz, and CeeLo offers up some sort of resolution or closure at the end of such a descent. The desire to dance, to try, and remember the last time you actually enjoyed something and let go, because there's a lot of being trapped in this album, a lot of isolation, a lot of feeling pressured. Um, and I think it signals his desire to keep going, despite the struggles and the pain to push past and endure. And, you know, I've just spoken about this album for so long just then. Like, this album was so special to me. Um, it really was. I had no idea. I'd listen to it constantly still. I've got on CD. I drive around in my car and spin it. I had no idea what to expect, but it spoke to me at a time when I was struggling with isolation and a lack of human connection. And, bro. It just spoke to the loneliness and sadness I felt at being excluded for all the years during high school. I suffered at high school. It was rough. And CeeLo kept going just as I did. And yeah, man, it's just, it's a very special album to me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a little bit of a whiplash of uh, Ben talking so lovingly about this album and then, uh, and then me coming in. <laughs> you don't like it. Um, here's the thing. It's, it's one of those albums for me where um, I feel like I enjoyed you describing why it's good and the backstory and the context and all of that. I feel like I enjoyed that more than the actual listening experience. Um, isn't this is? I feel like I feel like you sugarcoated. I think this album's dark as shit. It is dark. Um, it's it's really dark. Um, and I feel I I feel so. I don't know whether it was like perfect for 2006 or not because I I I just I can't imagine someone like cuz the landscape of 2006 in my mind and you, you you know you you made me think about um you know I remember when we when we talked about the black eyed peas that during that infamous episode um and you oh, know yeah. we were mentioning how they just went down the electronic route for well, as Will I am mentioned, because he went to Australia for a bit and heard EDM for the first time or some shit, like just <laughs> discovered electronic music and was like, eh, I'm gonna do that, right? But you, you, a wrinkle we didn't say then, but you said just said just a few minutes ago was that kind of it was it was just the the industry was just going to that point yeah, anyway. Definitely, like you mentioned uh, you mentioned Timberland and uh, Justin and you know all those, right? It made sense. Um, I mean, Lady Gaga was about to. Lady Gaga was about to come out in like what? Oh eight. Lady Gaga, bro. Like, that bro. album changed the fucking literally, world. Literally like, changed the world. Just, uh. Literally, just like neo electro pop. Like brilliant. It just it, it was just neo electro pop. That's all it was. Um, and so yeah, you know. So I'm trying to think of like, was did this album drop at a perfect time? The answer is probably yes, but. I feel like it, it. It hasn't been. I don't feel like it has been has been absorbed, as and as and as um, 
and as contextualized as albums of this nature have been over the years. I don't I don't think it has I don't think it's gotten the 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 column inches that it probably should have should have gotten. Um obviously and partly and again I feel like it's uh, harking back to the Souls of Mystery episode. This feels like a 93 to infinity moment where people would just listen to 93 to infinity and people just listen to crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes sense because they're bangers, but geez, there's so much in this. I mean, even crazy itself, right? Just I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read the 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 first few lines that everyone knows. But this might just, be one of the greatest. This might be one of the greatest pop songs ever. Just before it might just be in the top ten. Genuinely, sorry, no, I, mean, I, had to, like, I just had to say like, that, man. Read these lyrics out. Yeah, it's so dense, special, but it's it's. It's like swimming pools times 10. Yes. Like swimming pools is obviously just like, you know, everyone's banging to it, but it's a literally a serious song about alcoholism. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, but when, do we, when do everyone listen to it? When they're drinking. It's, it's like, it's, this is like that, but just times 10 because it's yeah. so buried and, it, and CeeLo's performance is so fucking good and the beat is so crispy. Yeah. Nobody cares about how depressing <laughs> the song actually is lyrically. <laughs> I remember when I lost my mind. There was Starts something it. so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. What the fuck are we doing? It's beautiful. <laughs> I feel that it in my fucking soul. It's, it's so good. Just reading it off is absolutely outstanding. It's, it's, it's absolutely not. And when you're out there without care... Yeah, I was out of touch, but it wasn't because I didn't know enough. I just knew too much. Does that make me crazy? <laughs> Bang. Bang. Just remove all of the performance. Chills. Just read it. And it's Chills. I keep I keep trying to get out of the get out of myself by saying crazy, but it literally is crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy. It's just it's crazy how fucking good the lyrics are. And people and people just don't actually acknowledge how great this is, right? And I feel like it's the same for the rest of the album. But I just can't enjoy it overall. Um, it's so... It, there's, it, I mean, aesthetically and subjectively for me, um, there's just moments where... There's moments within songs that just, I don't know, just kind of take me out of it. Um, whether it be some sort, form of production choice... Um, it, it, it just, at times it just takes me out of it. So I'm kind of like, I'm going up and down with the album, um, of actually just trying to enjoy it. And I kind of just overall don't, that's just purely surface level and purely subjective point on, in, on my part. Right. But like I said, when you're describing the context and describing how dense everything is and how packed full of meaning this album actually is, um, I, I, I respect it. Um, I just don't really, at a surface level, I just don't really spin, spin the album. I'm just like, this is a fun album to listen to. I like this album, top to bottom. I'm, I'm, it's, just not, it's just not true. This is not true. Like, like you said, Feng Shui and uh, the other one before it, uh, Boogie Monster, uh, the, 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 the Boogie Monster. Eh, you know, I like the first. Um, I like the first uh, 
you know, especially Go Go Gadget Gospel into Crazy. Just that sequence was just, mm, buttery smooth. Um, you know, saying elsewhere is cool. Gone Daddy Gone Zayat, Smiley Face Zayat. Um, yeah, and then um, yeah, just uh, just the rest of the album just kind of just gets to this dark place where I just don't really. I'm I'm just not meeting it there. I that's it's probably a me. It's it's probably a me issue. I'm just not meeting it where it want where it wants to go. And I'm just like, mm, not feeling it right now. Not not me. Not not trying to get there right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, uh, but with all that said, objectively, I get it. Objectively, I get why this album is a classic. And again, I while I don't enjoy the album personally from a surface level, just listening to it and enjoying it, um, and asking myself if I enjoy it. Oh, it's just so packed. It's just so packed. It's too. It's too packed and too dense to ignore um and i genuinely feel like it's underrated in a lot of ways i don't feel like people talk about this album in the context of like best albums of the 2000s i don't think people talk about it like that they talk about crazy like that and that's fine well and good i'm here for it i'm on that boat with everybody else but nobody talks about the album in such a positive light and i I feel like um i feel like it should have a good really really thorough just um really thorough breakdown and um you know i mean you kind of you kind of uh, did already um and that was that sufficed very nicely um for you know what is a half an episode of <laughs> of digging in digits right done very well um but i just feel like it, ugh, there's just so much in here where i feel people just don't talk about this album and i just find that a bit odd um, people probably just, I mean, overall, people don't talk about CeeLo Green as a talent, to be honest, let's be real, uh, of how fucking, it, 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 how fucking seismic he is, um, he has been, and how iconic he is as an artist, I feel, you know, Goody Mob, obviously, have we done a Goody Mob episode? I don't think no, we, have we? definitely haven't. No, we yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely on the list, I know that for sure, um, but, you know, when we get to that, I know I'm going to enjoy that, because, you know, Soul Food, for one, banger, uh, you know, it's just, there's some good shit all over Goody Mob's uh, career, and even even their recent album I really enjoyed a few years ago. I forget what it's called, but yeah, it's really good. Um, so yeah, you know, and obviously, you know, CeeLo's f- uh, feature run, and uh, obviously Crazy, and uh, you know, well, Forget You or the or, or the explicit version, uh, whichever you song. pick, uh, <laughs> is you know. He's been he's been all over, and I respect that. And obviously, Danger Mouse as a producer has just gone around about so much, has just worked with so many, uh, has had such an interesting, I think, uh, career. I didn't even know about the trip hop uh, <laughs> beginnings. Actually, I didn't even know that. So that's that'll be kind of interesting. Um, I do have massive attack on our list, so that's uh, that's definitely one I want to get into one day. Um, but yeah, man, this album just deserves a lot more. Um, you know, as it. As it's um, you know just over fifteen years old, um, yeah, I feel like it deserves much more contextual breakdown. Uh, someday, um, maybe when it turns twenty, people will do something. But yeah, man, this is a uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 objectively it's objectively a wild album and incredibly dark. Um, without actually, without actually knowing it, if that makes any sense, I feel like people might. If if people weren't explained what this album was, they probably think it's just like some, you know, like you said, it's a pop album in 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 a lot of ways. But 
scratch that scratch that surface a little bit and uh, just it goes to a different place that you than you think yeah i think that's probably why it doesn't get the same accolades as some of the other albums you know future sex love sounds very digestible um in terms of lyrical content um you know uh, confessions on dance floor same you know Lee gaga same these albums are all pop these pop albums that endure um especially 2000 plus they're digestible uh in terms of the content and I'm I'm sure CeeLo Green was wholly capable of making that exact kind of project. And that's, you know, I've said it a million times on this pod, I will always respect artists who have the opportunity to go super mainstream or mainstream in general, and they choose to go in the opposite direction. You know, I was listening to Earl again yesterday, and I'm like, uh, listening to Doris, and then moving on at, through his career and just being like, he could have gone the Tyler route. He really could have. And I'm not, that's not a criticism of Tyler at all. Um, Tyler was brave just as Earl was brave. They were just brave in completely different directions. Um, and that's what CeeLo did on this album, man. He could have. And he did it on the next album, or his, his solo album, uh, The Lady Killer, I think it was called. I can't remember. I think that's what it was called. Um, the one that had Forget You, Fuck You on it. Uh, but again, even that album, I've listened to it countless times. Yeah, this is a big single on it, but the rest of the album is intense emotionally. It's quite dark as well. So, no, man, this album is is really special. I never thought I'd be talking about it in this depth ever, but, you know, there we are. Like, yeah, it's a fucking great album. That's what you get here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you get. Uh, But, yeah, man, two classic albums of the 2000s, like I mentioned before, and um, rightly so for, you know, actually varying reasons. (laughs) It's actually kind of interesting. Um, how different the two albums are, especially. But yeah, man, really enjoyable. Really listen, enjoyed uh, just getting into these. And uh, yeah, we'll end it there. And uh, get into a line note if you have anything, Ben. Yeah, so I bought a new I motorbike a yesterday. Ring, I bought a new ring. motorbike. Um, and it was a scary bike. Um, so I was on my on my, my provisional license, which means you can only drive a certain capacity bike. And I was riding a, fi- a 650. And they're heavy. My bike was, you know, 280 kilos. But when I sold it, I wanted to go up, so I went to a 1300. Now, the 1300 is about 150 kilos heavier, and this bike was out in Curry Curry, which is two and a half hours drive from Sydney, so we drove up there, looked at the bike, and I was like, this bike is amazing, I want it, um, but I was terrified of riding at home. It's so heavy, so much more powerful bikes, and it's not a, it's not a bicycle. This shit is fucking scary. Like, genuinely, shit can just go wrong in an instant. So to get it out onto the road to give it a test ride, right? The guy who I was buying it from couldn't ride it anymore. He was not capable. So it was just sitting on it in his little thing. So I had to go up a driveway of loose stones, which again, if you've ever ridden a motorcycle and you see loose stones, that shit haunts you in your fucking nightmares because as soon as your bike back end slips out, you're fucked. So I've got to get it up this driveway of loose stones, turn right to get a, like a tight right turn to get around these cars, still going up a hill. So anyway, I get up there and then I go to turn and the whole bike just falls straight over, straight onto my foot. And it's possible that I have broken my foot. It's very sore. I don't know that it's broken, but it is, it is fucked. Um, so already, I haven't even bought the bike yet. And I've dropped it onto my fucking foot. And I was with my uncle and I said, what did I do wrong? He said, you didn't turn the bike. 
He said you just you were going straight and then just went shoo boom and it went straight over. <laughs> and I said to him, I was so scared of losing the back end on the stones. So anyway, I haven't even ridden it yet. Remember, I've got to ride it two and a half hours back to Sydney. It's 350 kilos. I've already dropped it on my fucking foot. So I get it out onto the road and start riding it for a test ride. Terrifying. Fucking terrifying. So big, so heavy, so scary, so powerful. But fuck me, did I love it. And I bought it and I rode it two and a half hours back. Um, and by the end of the ride, I was, you know, I felt confident. I'm still scared of it. It's sitting in my garage right now. It's like directly below me and it's living in my head. I know that there's this giant hunk of metal that I just paid $6,000 for sitting down there that could kill me in an instant. And it's really scary. And that's, you know, that's how I felt when I bought my first bike. Um, but I'm excited. It's silver. It's big, it's pretty, it's very. It's just very calm. It's a calm bike. My other bike was just stupidly loud. Um, I sent Charlie a, a video of it when I first got it, and Charlie was just like, bro, what the fuck? It is. It was just sillily loud, and it was fucking my hearing up. Um, so yeah, man, I'm proud. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked I got it. Uh, potentially have broken my foot. Um, but you know, when you ride motorcycles, it's the same as like playing sport or running. Uh, you just get injured like it, it happens sometimes my wrist is fucked from like sitting on a freeway it's got no cruise control um, so I'm just sitting on a freeway holding it in the exact same position for two hours and the clutch is really heavy so now my fucking elbows all fucked up for, it's a mess it's it's very physical thing but I'm stoked man I'm, I'm absolutely stoked to finally have a bike and I got it for a fucking bargain so just hopefully my foot isn't broken it's oh, cool bro yeah well you know, just, yeah, fingers crossed, I guess. <laughs> but it broke it. Uh, just having a big old spike land on you. But um, yeah, man. Um, for me, I went to uh, went to London yesterday. To uh, it was National Cinema Day. Um, so oh, I saw that Ryan, in your story. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you went with Ryan. Ryan invited me to come through uh, to the Picture House Central in uh, Piccadilly. Uh, we watched it. Well, he he was watching a triple bill um, because he's a film nerd like that. So the first, he invited me to the first one he was watching, which was uh, in the mood for love, um, which was directed by. I, totally forget, I I I have like two. I keep having two directors in my head, um, and I keep. I'm like it's the other one, but I keep thinking of the other one. But it's a uh, Wong Kar Wai, and um, yes, it's a Hong Kong uh, based film. Uh, in the two thousand uh, came out in two thousand, and it was just—it's just a really—it's just one of those Asian films that film nerds love to guess about. Um, and I get why now that I've seen it. Um, it's a very—it's uh, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than unrequited love. It uh, it uh, just destroys me, destroys me. And this film is fucking soul destroying sometimes. It's, it's but it's not like heavy on emotion. But it's got that, it's, it's like bubbling all the time. And you're just like, please, just do it, just please. So basically, the story is like about these um, uh, two protagonists and, uh, you know, just, uh, so it's like, you know, woman, man. But they, they both like recently married and they both like recently moved into this kind of like house share, basically. Um, so they're in the same apartment, quote unquote. Um, I don't know how it's described in Hong Kong, like, you know, parlance. But yeah, basically, they're just like, living in the same apartment building like next door to each other but there's also like a landlord who lives with them so to speak and she's nice they, she plays mahjong all fucking day it's great it's fun um 
But yeah, they, they you know they go past each other, and the whole film is structured in this like in like a style of vignettes, you know, and the scenes like happen so quickly. But then there's like a scene or two where it's just like really long, and you just like it's just really indulgent. Um, the editing just gets chip choppy sometimes, but then it slows right down. The shots that uh, uh, Wong uses are just really can sometimes be really claustrophobic but then but then like you're outside and everything's just wide open um tony leung leung um legend um and i forgot homegirl's name I, I forgot homegirl's name i'm gonna look at maggie chung my gosh she looks so good in this film it's absolutely it's absurd how good she looks in this film whoever dressed her deserves a fucking medal like the fits she was coming out on every single time were absurd like she she was just poured into these really elegant just like dresses with like this like like this collar thing going on oh the elegance was dripping off the screen it was so good um so you know visually it's stunning um the story pisses me off in a lot of ways um but not in a bad way just because i want them to be together and they spoiler alert don't end up together it's just really painful for me um but yeah it's just a really it's a really beautiful film and it's one of those films where you don't actually know you 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 don't know how long it is um when you're watching it it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're halfway through the film oh this is the halfway point you know what i mean and even the end doesn't feel like the end but it's the end and then uh but yeah it's only it's only like one hour and 40 minutes but it didn't feel like that it could have been it could have been an hour it could have been two hours could have been three i wouldn't even known because it's just the this pacing is so interesting uh, it's really hard to gauge, but yeah, man, that was really solid. Um, Ryan went to see Raging Bull and uh, Equalizer Three. I did see the Equalizer Three actually the day before. Oh yeah, um, what was that like? In my opinion, in my opinion, b- uh, the best one out of the three. Um, Ooh, better than one. It kind of re- it kind of relies on you watching the other two, um, because yeah, just it just you know harks back to the other two. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those films uh, that uh, you you kind of have to watch the other two to get it. Uh, to get the, to, especially to get the uh, the emotional punch. Um, but yeah, uh, the action's great, of course. You know, what I mean, it's, it's, it's equalizer. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's top tier. Um, uh, but yeah, man, and the visuals. Oh gosh, oh Italy, man, so crazy, so racist yet so beautiful. It's, just, it's, so, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Oh, they're mad racist in um, Italy. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, Even even like um. Even like a uh, northern Italians towards like southern Italians is absurd. Like they 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 hate oh, this. They're, they're racist over there, man. It's crazy. What country? They're in a far right government right now, bro. Like, they don't give a fuck. Oh. Um, what country yeah, is not racist though? Like I'm. It's just... Yeah, I knew you could. I knew you could ask. <laughs> I knew, I feel like someone was gonna listen to that. Me saying that and just go like, well, what country is it? Yeah, but, but yeah. not in a defense. I'm not trying to defend Italy. I'm just like. No, no, no. I get you. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just yeah, like great, everyone. Great question. You know, um, every country has their prejudices in some way. Um, but yeah, no, just Italy. God damn, it's such a beautiful place, but oh, it's so racist. Um, but yeah, man, it's a it's a good film, very visually pleasing. Um, the 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 what's the what's the word? the uh, the the Christianity elements? I just don't care about. I get why yeah. they're doing it contextually, but I, just, I I don't care if I like you know. It's, it's, that well, he asks, he's asked a question a couple of times, and it go, dude goes, um, "Are you a good man or a bad man?" He's like, "I don't know." Um, and it was, 
And it's an interesting answer because of obvious reasons, right? Um, is a conflicting thing. He does things for people and, you know, in that way he's a good dude, but he kills a lot of people. So <laughs> it's, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a it's a loaded question, but um, I was a, I'm a little yeah, bit so, like so, nervous yeah. about watching number three because I did not like number two. I thought number one oh, okay. is one of the greatest movies, bros. That scene in the where he's like the 18 seconds or something in that room and he's just like looking at his what like it's just madness. But yeah, I didn't. Maybe I maybe yeah. I need to watch three then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 good. Um, yeah, it's got some it's got some really good stuff and really good moments. Um, yeah, it it. it it just packs, um, it, especially if you watch the other two, has that emotional punch that's um, just, you know, it's optional, but I feel like it pays off if you if you get it. Um, but yeah, man, really good stuff. Um, really, uh, yeah, just saw some two solid films over the past uh, over the past weekend. So some good photos. Oh, went to Notting Hill Carnival. Didn't say that. Uh, yeah, that was good. Um, walking simulator as it is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was enjoyable. That was pretty solid. Got some good photos from that. Uh, but yeah, man, just uh, yeah, just I I literally have for for money reasons I have nothing on for the rest of the year, and I'm just like going shit. This is it's bad. It's bad. Oh, so bad. There's so many shows I want to hear. So many things I want to do, and I'm just like, oh god, this is so bad. I need, I'm oh, I'm I'm nasty in this. I'm just gonna admit it. But some people send me tickets to certain things. And so now I am a little bit sneaky. And when I see a show or an artist I like coming out, I start following their manager on Instagram. I start following their production company and I just start liking and try to build a relationship. It's it's very nasty. Okay, I'm not saying this is, I'm not proud of this. I don't ask for tickets. You can, bro. I don't ask for tickets, but I really, there's, there's a band coming out called Koshin that my friend and I, we were obsessed with in the early 2000s. And it's so ironic because a weird. I bought their album for four dollars the other day on CD in a discount shop in Newtown, and then literally a week later they announced their first Australian tour in like twenty years. So yeah, I said to my friend, you know, we've got till October or November when they come out. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna work on getting us tickets. And I've never been successful thus far. I'm not successful in this at all. So I don't know if it's just a pointless endeavor. But I, I can't afford to go to shows, man. It's just too expensive. It's it's getting to that point now with cost of living, especially in our country, where just the rich are going to shows, man. You can't... I remember I saw a band last year, um, and they were an Australian rock band, like a real grungy band in the 90s. But because it was in Manly, it was so expensive. The only people who could turn up were just rich people who didn't seem to know what the fuck was going on. They all wanted to eat their cheese platters and sit on the lawn and drink their wine. And there's this band up there just grunging the fuck out. And they're just like, oh, yeah, this is a Saturday night out. And I was out there spending like all my money on this because it was such an important band. It's just, it's, it makes me sad, man. It does. It's just, again, priced out of live music. And there's no answer to it because we don't want to charge less. Like, we want artists to be able to make money from touring, especially if they come into Australia. That's a long way to go. There's a lot of costs in coming to Australia. But, yeah, man, it's just a bit sad. I'm just getting priced out of life in general, bro. <laughs> it's, it's, it's peak. It's peak out here. It's peak out here. But anyway, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, on the fifth fifth element podcast network, uh, it's been digging digits. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I've been trying to say the fifth element. Then Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Oh,
Digging Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Music for the ability to use. Socials with Fenament, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and Chill Music will be the full show notes, as well as names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 BPM production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next time on Digging in the Digits.